All right. So one of my favorite things about Luke's gospel is how the Holy Spirit isn't just a concept, but actually functions as one of Luke's main characters. And so I always think it's fun and interesting and revelatory to go through Luke's gospel and see how the Holy Spirit is used literarily. Like, what does it do in the story and in the plot? And like I said, that's why I think that the Holy Spirit functions as one of Luke's main characters. He's making the story go forward. He's driving the plot. He's aligning characters, or she, if we want to call her she. It's actually, a, uh, the Holy Spirit is actually neutral, or gender neutral in Greek. So I hate to say it, but you may use your pronoun of choice. Um, the, the Holy Spirit in Luke's gospel literarily has three functions. And obviously there can be more of these than just this, but these are the three I wanna talk about tonight because I feel like they're the places we can most easily see them and easily see how this is part of Luke's overall narrative. Uh, so the first way that the Holy Spirit functions is that the Holy Spirit prompts prophecy. So if someone's gonna prophesy, the Holy Spirit shows up to make it happen. So the first place we see this is Elizabeth. When she sees Mary uh, on her way towards her, after Mary has found out that she is going to give birth to the Messiah, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she says this, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? So without knowing what has taken place, she is speaking directly to this reality that is in the world, that the Messiah is coming, is already here in the womb of this young girl. And so obviously we know that Mary's been told by an angel, but we don't know that anyone else knows. And when the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth and shows up, what happens? Now the word starts to get distributed via prophetic speech. And then the same thing happens to Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah. As soon as he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, the text literally says that he spoke this prophecy. And that is the Benedictus, the beautiful psalm uh, that he sings about the coming Messiah and his son, John the Baptist, role in paving the way for this Messiah. And so and, and at the end of that particular text with Zechariah, it says that word spread all around. And so we can kind of see that this is Luke's sort of way of trickling down the story. How did people start to know about it? Well, the Holy Spirit shows up. And once the Holy Spirit shows up, word gets out because people start speaking prophetically. Also in those early narratives of Luke's gospel, we get Jesus's parents bringing him to the temple in Jerusalem. And of course, it says that there's a man named Simeon. And wouldn't you know it, the text said the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Messiah. Then guided by the Spirit, Simeon came to the temple, and then, of course, he speaks prophetically, you are dismissing your ser servant in peace, master. My eyes are now seeing your salvation. This child is the salvation, not just of Israel, but for revelation to the Gentiles as well. 
And of course, we hear that now all the people in the temple, they're talking about it. And everyone in Jerusalem starts talking about it. So this is really opening the story up. And it's also sort of reaching out to the audience. It's letting them see the major impact that this little story about these two baby boys born in a remote part of the Roman Empire are having. And so this is a way that he's drawing the reader in and letting them know that even though these seem to be really small people, this is a really big story. And we know that because the Holy Spirit shows up and just scatters the story everywhere. And you can't help but see it everywhere you look. Um, not only does the Holy Spirit um, promote prophetic speech, but we also see that Luke couples old and new prophecy together whenever the Holy Spirit shows up. So the story in uh, Luke chapter four is that Jesus goes into the wilderness uh, guided by the spirit and he's tempted by the devil as he fasts for 40 days. And then Luke tells us this, Jesus filled with the power of the Holy Spirit comes back to Galilee and he goes into the synagogue where he had been raised in Nazareth and he reads the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he reads this from Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here we have Jesus, a prophet, reading prophecy. And he's reaching back to the words that the prophets had shared and the word that had now become scripture to these people. And then what does Jesus do? He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he takes this old prophecy and he couples it with a new prophecy. Hey, guess what? You don't realize this, but God has done this thing that you were looking forward to. It's happening now in ways that you don't even see and you can't even imagine. And then to demonstrate that point, he says, but I get it. No prophet is accepted in a prophet's hometown. And Jesus goes on to tell about the prophet Elijah. There were lots of widows in Israel during the time of the famine and the drought when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. And there was a severe famine all over the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And of course, that's a Gentile woman. Jesus says there were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Not only a Gentile here, but a Gentile foreign commander, easily seen as the enemy of Israel. And so he's talking about how the prophet, the prophet's words that Isaiah, that he's quoting from Isaiah, they're fulfilled. But guess what? that always has a meaning that you're not anticipating and that you might not always immediately appreciate. And sure enough, as soon as they hear this, it says everyone in the synagogue was filled with rage and they got up and tried to Jesus, throw Jesus off of a cliff. And so the issue with this is, is that whenever we see the Holy Spirit fill someone and then this person starts prophetically speaking, usually what we hear at first is praise God. 
right? You know, as soon as Jesus speaks and he says, today, this is fulfilled, it says everyone was just amazed at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. In Jerusalem, when the prophet Simeon and the prophet Anna in the temple are telling them all about this child, everyone's praising God. But at some point, the Holy Spirit isn't just giving prophetic messages, isn't just enabling people to have this prophetic capacity. The Holy Spirit is actually instigating trouble. He's instigating pushback. And if you don't believe me, Jesus says this throughout Luke's gospel. When uh, Luke's Jesus gives uh, the, his version of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, uh, Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that's what their ancestors did to the prophets. And so Jesus claims this title of prophet, and he knows that this is what he is, but he's also letting people know, yes, desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but responsibly understand that it is always uh, a place where it's not only going to cause people to praise God, it's also going to have people push back on you. The, this is a miracle that only Luke records uh, where Jesus goes into a town called Nain and there's a young man who's died and his mother is a widow. This is her only son. Jesus sees her crying and he tells her not to cry. And he says, young man, I tell you, get up. And of course, this dead young man gets up and starts speaking and notice what everyone starts to say. It says, fear seized all of them and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has looked favorably on his people. And this word about him spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I think we can kind of see this whole Holy Spirit thing is still going on here. It's still leaking out, it's getting out. But they're saying it's a great prophet. And we know it's a prophet because wonderful things are happening. Like people are coming back from the dead. God's looked favorably on us. But Jesus has just told us just a few verses before this, but people hate the prophets. <laughs> they may like some of these things at first, but the more the prophet speaks this Holy Spirit filled word, the more invitation it is to push back because it begins to unsettle people. Um, in a few chapters, Jesus will be with his disciples and he asks his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? Now remember, right before this, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And his disciples answered, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say another one of the ancient prophets. So notice that they're all correctly classifying Jesus. He must be a prophet because he's making these amazing things happen. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's speaking this kind of revelatory truth. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're God's Messiah. And then Jesus, it, this is very interesting. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone saying, the son of man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
this is very much directly related to what they think Jesus is. People keep saying that you are a prophet, that you are in this prophetic line. And Jesus basically says, don't let the whole Messiah business trick you into thinking that my final destination isn't exactly that of a prophet. Because you know what happens to prophets? Jesus says, it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. And I think this is really interesting because it's, it's not true. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, Jesus is just telling a lie. How there's lots of prophets that are killed and they're not in Jerusalem. And when we look back at the Old Testament, there's only one prophet that we can actually point to, the prophet Zechariah, that was killed in Jerusalem. So what does Jesus mean by this? And I think what we have to do is look at how Luke uses the term Jerusalem. I don't think he means the actual geographical city itself. When he's talking about Jerusalem, very often he's talking about the hierarchy, the structures of power, the systems that wed economics and politics and religion and social class and all of these kinds of things that engineer such a life so that some people are on top and some people are below. And what's interesting is a prophet seems to be the antithesis of that particular arranging of society. Prophets go up to a society like that and begin to poke at places. That's what their words do is they provoke this kind of pushback and retaliation. So when Jesus says, it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. And later he says, I have to go to Jerusalem because I have to die. And that's the place where you go if you wanna be killed as a prophet. I think what he's saying is prophets are always coming up against these structures that want to preserve their power. And therefore, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're speaking God's word, you will always be inviting this kind of resistance. And I appreciate it because on, on one hand, uh, rhetorically, Jesus is using something that isn't a truth in the way we think of it. Lots of prophets die in places that aren't Jerusalem, but he's using it to demonstrate something that is very much true. And that's, this is the thing, the one definitive thing that always opposes prophets. And what's interesting is the way that Luke has married prophecy and the Holy Spirit to resist the prophets, to push back and refuse to hear the prophets is a closure to the Holy Spirit itself. And so really Luke is sort of massaging his reader into keep yourself open. Don't keep drawing back when the word is hard to hear. Keep yourself open because when you resist the prophetic word, you're actually shutting out the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's, it's uh, a funny scene at the end of Luke in a story that we call the road to Emmaus where Jesus is sort of in disguise, his disciples, two of them don't recognize him. They're walking down this road and they're, they're telling him about Jesus of Nazareth because he claims not to know anything about this. And his disciples say the strangest thing. They tell him all the things about Jesus of Nazareth 
who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. What's interesting, and I can't believe I left this off, but the next line says, we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. And what's very interesting is they're not seeing how it is exactly what was intended to happen. That by him speaking prophetically and inviting this kind of resistance, it actually created the actual plan of God for him to be handed over, crucified, and to be raised from the dead. This is actually how it's supposed to work with prophets, especially who are mighty in word and deed. The second function of the Holy Spirit in Luke's gospel is that the Holy Spirit responds to prayer. There's a very specific uh, task that the Holy Spirit has. And it's almost uh, uh, an absolute equation. If someone in Luke's gospel is praying, the Holy Spirit shows up and does something miraculous. And not only does this happen in Luke's gospel, but this sets up the same pattern that will take place in Acts. Whenever the community of believers prays, the Holy Spirit shows up and stuff happens. People are let out of jails and their chains fall to the ground. People are raised from the dead. Miraculous ways out of situations happen. Anytime people are praying, the Holy Spirit shows up. And this happens right out of the gate in Luke's gospel. Uh, we're told in the very first scene that Zechariah is a man who is um, blameless before the Lord. He and his wife Elizabeth serve God. They keep all the commandments, but they have no children. Now, this is very interesting because this is what the text says. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid Zechariah for your prayer has been heard. And of course, he says, you're going to have a child, even in your old age. And so what, we, what we're trained to see at the very beginning of this story is that people are praying. And what happens? Miraculous things happen. Angels show up. People get filled with the Holy Spirit. There is never a prayer that takes place in Luke's gospel that goes unresponded to in one way or another. Uh, another thing that Luke likes to do is he likes to take scenes that he has inherited from Mark's gospel, and he turns them into prayer scenes, especially since they fit his motif of the Holy Spirit responding to prayer. So think about the story that he gets from Mark, where Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, and the Holy Spirit comes and settles on him as a dove. Luke changes it so that it says, when the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice said, you are my son, my beloved, and with you I'm well pleased. Luke just could not resist 
the temptation to put the Holy Spirit and its response to prayer. Jesus is praying. And that prayer, that act of obedience, that act of um, submitting oneself to God and seeking God's will is what prompts the Holy Spirit to actually come down out of heaven. And we see the same formula happens in Luke's uh, version of the transfiguration. He takes Mark's story of Jesus transfigured on a mountain, and what does he turn it into? A prayer scene. So Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, and that's only in Luke's gospel. And then while he's praying, we have this miraculous transformation, and then it says the Spirit comes and covers them like a cloud, and they hear the voice saying, this is my son, just like we saw with the baptism scene. And so the Holy Spirit is always there responding to prayer. It's that, um, that line of communication, literally, between God and people. And the third function of the Holy Spirit is that it is a source of divine power, such that the Holy Spirit enables people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. So when uh, Gabriel comes to um, Zechariah in the temple, when he's making this offering, and he's telling him about his son, John the Baptist, and what it is that he's going to do, that he's going to be a great prophet. And it says, even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see that that's true because in just a few verses, Elizabeth will recognize that Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. And she says, the child inside of me recognizes your child and leapt inside of me when your child got close. So the word that the angel speaks here about the child being filled with the Holy Spirit is proven true just a few verses later. And then the angel goes on to say, and with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him, meaning before Jesus, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But notice how all of that happens, this huge task set before John the Baptist while he is yet in utero it is because he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This will be the thing that enables him to do all of these things. And the power of the Spirit is what's going to make those things possible. Mary asks the same question. She's very concerned because she's a virgin and she says to Gabriel, I'm not sure how this will happen. How can I as a virgin conceive the child? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit, it will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow is that same one that we see in the transfiguration. This notion of just this, this presence enveloping you and how is the Messiah actually born of a virgin? The power of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit makes things happen that otherwise are not able to happen. This one baby, John the Baptist, will turn the hearts of all the people back to the Lord their God and will pave the way for the Messiah. And this young girl who has never been with a man is going to conceive a child and give it life. These are all, Luke tells us, because of the Holy Spirit. 
John even says that Jesus is going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And notice how he describes it. He says, one who is more powerful than I am is coming. And what is this source of power? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Like the power that John has to be able to proclaim and to baptize is amazing, but Jesus is himself going to distribute the Holy Spirit. And think of all the things that that will enable people to do. And Jesus tells us some of those things. I love that Luke describes Jesus in chapter 10 as rejoicing in the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is a divine source of joy. It is what allows a prophet who knows he's going to be killed by his own people to yet rejoice in God's goodness. Jesus tells his disciples not to worry about when they come into these times of confrontation, when people push back against the prophetic things that they say and do. And he says, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very moment what you're supposed to say, because the Holy Spirit is this divine enabler this divine provider of wisdom and strength that will make even the impossible things somehow miraculously possible. Well, grace and peace, friends. Welcome to uh, uh, your week with St. Luke's and our After Hours podcast. Uh, We're still in the book of Luke. All four of your pastors at St. Luke's are here with Dr. E.B. Arnold. And today we're talking about uh, the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is understood in the book of Luke. So take it away, Dr. E.B. All right. Well, the Holy Spirit is basically the main character. Mm. Um, The Holy Spirit is sort of the prompter of and moves the plot forward throughout the story. Um, but then the Holy Spirit also becomes sort of the glue between the characters. So you can't swing a dead cat in the Gospel of Luke without hitting the Holy Spirit. Are there dead cats in the Gospel no, of Luke? No, it's the spirit of the cats. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, cats have That's a story I don't it's remember. The, you can't swing the souls of a cat. <laughs> That's one of those uh, rarer manuscripts. <laughs> Um, so, so the Holy Spirit does a lot of different things, you know, right? Like it prompts prophecy um, and it, it, it puts people in certain places and it responds to prayer. And it just, it's sort of this, it, it's, it's a Swiss army knife in Luke's story. Um, and so it, it's, it's almost like you can't but read the Holy Spirit everywhere. Um, so my question is, how, how does that translate for us? Um, if this is the same Holy Spirit that we all know and love, um, do we acknowledge the role that we see the Holy Spirit play? Does it play as many roles and wear as many hats in the story of our own congregations and lives? Um, how, how do you know when you've, when you've felt the presence or you've seen the work of the Holy Spirit? I, I'm going to jump in because I want to kind of pose a question for all of us that I, this is bringing up for me because last, last, the last podcast, we talked a little bit about provenient grace. And I think I'm more comfortable talking about provenient grace than talking about the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Does that, does, and I, I have not explored this. I haven't thought through this, but as I'm asked this question, I'm probably more apt to say something was provenient grace than it was the Holy Spirit. Does that, does that click with anybody else? What's the relationship of those two? 
So providence, right? And the, with the aspect of providence, was God's providence, God's presence in those things that we didn't see coming. I, I think along with that, um, the caveat that you shared last week with the word salvation, that, that Holy Spirit is oftentimes used for manipulation with people. Right. Um, and for Because you can't argue with the right, Holy Spirit. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, uh, call a volunteer and say, hey, you know, God ca- told me to call and ask you to do this. And, mm-hmm. and you know, to have one respond, oh, no, God already told me to say no. Right? <laughs> like, you know, Yo, that's um, hilarious. So that. <laughs> Yo, that's hilarious. <laughs> but so that, that, that Holy Spirit is oftentimes used in that way. And, and that would be my hesitation mm-hmm. to talk extensively about it. I, I do, do, I'm a Trinitarian. I believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I believe God is active and present in this world. And so, but I, I agree with what you're saying because oftentimes, like salvation last week, the Holy Spirit is used to manipulate people or why something happened and 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 it can be used to remove um, our uh, agency and our work with God, with the Holy Spirit in the world, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that would, if I don't know if you agree with that, but that's a little bit where my, my where I... I would understand what you're saying when when you say that. I have no problem with that. I love the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I have a problem with it, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's as, yeah. As yeah. I'm just like, right. like I, I, I think sometimes we take out the Holy Spirit yes. to put too much of our own agency in. So yep. it's yep. interesting it, that you said balance, that you use right? that. Because yeah. 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 I do think there is a prompting. I think it's interesting because we always associate the Holy Spirit with Acts. Mm-hmm. I don't think we associate the Holy Spirit with Luke as much. I, I think it's like, oh well, that's what's coming is 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 this is the spirit. But I, I this idea that God is at work wooing us through the power of the Holy Spirit constantly is is something that I don't think we talk enough about. I, but I like it because it's the holy imagination of the Trinity. Yes. It's the it's the mystery. It's the part that I can't grasp onto. It's the, you know, I love, I love, love, love. And y'all don't laugh at me, but I do love the description and the beauty of what Paul Young wrote about the Holy Spirit in the shack. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. this this thing that allows us, this being, this actual being that allows us to be able to like take the weeds and make it into something beautiful in our life. I just, oh, I love it. That's the most beautiful depiction for me oh of the gosh, Trinity. Yes. I've, I've tried to read some of those beautiful theological books about the Trinity mm-hmm. and that piece of art displays for me the Trinity and, the, and, and especially the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in such a, a beautiful and transformative way. I guess I struggle with it probably more because when I let it go, I realize I'm being incredibly ego-driven in my own life, just for me personally. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I, I like what you, you were all bringing up, though, about this being the imaginative uh, part of, mm-hmm. of God um, and knowing that Luke loves that Genesis story. Yes. Knowing that he loves that creation story and how he sees what is happening um, in this Jesus event as somehow recalling um, and re-performing that same creative time where God makes a whole world. Um, I love thinking about the Holy Spirit as this being that same spirit that hovered over the waters right. and was the, the instrument by which God created everything. So we can kind of see it even at work creating this new world, mm-hmm. you know, in Luke's mm-hmm. gospel. I love that. That's 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 really great. I love that. Um, is So when you talk about there's different reasons like 
it's hard to understand what the Holy Spirit is sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's hard to d differentiate between the Holy Spirit and myself mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. or the Holy Spirit and somebody else. Right. Yeah. Um, and what would we have to change in order to be more sensitive to it, to be able to feel that out? If it is something that it does seem to have to be more intuitive, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like something we can't go look up in the Bible and see what the Bible says. You know, this is spirit, wind, breath. It's not something we can necessarily, like you said, grasp. Mm -hmm. So what do we need to be? Or what do we need to do in order to make ourselves more available, open? Yeah. I don't know what word I'm, I, I'm, I can't even think of what the word is that we would need to be in order to receive that. I have a pastor friend who refers to the Holy Spirit simply as spirit and uses it like a proper name. Mm -hmm. And, and hearing her, the way that she talks about spirit as, as a person of the Trinity. You know, we talk mm -hmm. about the Trinity as, as, but I think when you say God has a name, Jesus has, like, <laughs> that, that feels like a name yeah. of, of, Jesus feels like a name mm -hmm. of a being. Holy Spirit is, is a, feels more generic, even yeah. though it's not. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that I've tried to little by little embrace is, is referring to spirit as spirit, as in like, that's a proper name. And that does change things when I, when I use that language. I think how we use language and, and the, yes. the words we use change things. So there's there's oh, just a little great. there's yeah. a little thing that I've been trying to do to Yeah, because if that. you relate to it as a person, right. perhaps mm -hmm. you will receive yeah. it as a yeah. person. I love that. Yeah, right. that is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Holy Spirit feels like a force. Yeah. Spirit feels like a person. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. So it's interesting because <clears> I have a couple different ways that I do think about it and first of all it's 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 uh it's charles dickens which is y'all will laugh at um but in in a christmas carol in the um the the spirit of christmas that goes and shows him his past um it is a candle in which he sees a face in the flame um and so and you you best see that in the um Jim Carrey animated, he really <laughs> holds true to that text. And so I see it as this face in a flame, this movement that lights the way that that brings um, an understanding. Um, but but I also recognize it, too, as this um, this divine spark that doesn't relent. And so it is a force mm -hmm. in some ways, like it doesn't relent and it, it continues mm -hmm. to move me. And in the places that I'm often most uncomfortable is where I probably hear the spirit speaking to me most mm -hmm. is poking and prodding, pushing. It's, it's discernment for me. It's, it's how do I discern whether it's me or whether this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me and calling me and, and cause oftentimes I'm just in my head. And how do I make sense of that? And over different seasons of my life and periods of my life, it's been different things that have allowed me to more clearly discern what is the Holy Spirit and not just what I want. Um, when I was younger, it was when I would go surfing and I would paddle out beyond the break all by myself and just be out in the middle of nothingness. Um, later on in life, going out into into places of nature where I'm there's nothing else around and I can begin to process through and, and discern what is the presence of God and what is just my head echo chamber of, of that. And, and also for me physically, like, so when I go for a run, it takes me a while, but eventually my head turns off 
and I can be more present, um, which seems crazy because there's a podcast playing in my ear and I'm and I'm running through traffic or whatever. But but it, for me, it, it's laborsome to personally um, discern the Holy Spirit. What's also fascinating is in community, you see it. When you're with people and you see something happening, we call it a God moment or those things, but that's all oh, that's the Holy Spirit over there happening. And we all have seen this. We've even seen it in like worship settings or even um, when our shows happen and we see like after that moment, it's all over and there's something else happening in the corner or conversation. You're like, ah, it's easier for me to discern the Holy Spirit moving in other people's lives than it is mm-hmm. for me in my life, I guess is what I'm saying. Yes. And it's more prevalent in, in community when you see... Right. The Holy Spirit moving. Well, since you brought up performative hermeneutic, <laughs> Evie, who is Evie, Evie, who is you know likes comedy and things like that. I mean, I think the Holy Spirit too is about putting yourself in the place of improvisation, about saying yes and, yes. and that when we open up ourselves to say yes and. Uh, or at least say, yes, God, I think the Holy Spirit is always the one that says, and Mm -hmm. let's do this Mm -hmm. and takes you on that next step. And then you say yes again. And the Holy Spirit goes, and, and that's the, the beauty of this kind of, you know, discipleship understanding, like I said, this performative hermeneutic of improvisation, because that's, God is a God of improv. Mm -hmm. So that is an invention in the moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's glue that binds us, yes. right? It's that it's that keeps it together and, and moving forward, moves that scene forward. This also addresses and, and starts to bring up, and we don't have to go down this rabbit trail, but it brings up that idea of God has a plan, right? Of, of that phrase that is complicated, um, that, that, yeah, there's a plan and it's not quite as, you know, linear as maybe we think because we are part of it. We are part of the conversation and, and we are invited into that. So I think believing in the Holy Spirit is maybe a little less settling at times than the idea that God has a straight path for us to follow because a straight path feels a lot safer and the Holy Spirit is more likely to take us off the path. Right. And and so that's a little scarier at times. Right. So... And that's what the writer of Luke was doing, though, was mm-hmm. continuing to say, no, you're in, we talked about the first week, the story part, you know, no, this is a story we're telling together and, 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 and God is the playwright of it. And, and Christ is the central actor that brings us in. And the Holy Spirit is the director that's constantly going and, 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 yeah. and, and it's just beautiful. And thinking about what you were talking about when you've, you've noticed that it's easiest to discern the presence of the Holy Spirit. Luke agrees with that because it's always in the wilderness mm-hmm. that someone gets filled with the Holy Spirit, but they don't stay there then. Because right. then it says Jesus returned full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then all the other things that Jesus does, um, you know, like you said, Melissa, there's not necessarily this this straightforward plan, but when you're filled with that power, there's this responsiveness yeah. that's able to happen. And I, I just sort of believe that God doesn't waste things like, oh, yes, and okay, you're bringing this to me. So I guess we're going to do this and guess what? This is going to happen. And that the Holy Spirit is sort of this divine enabler that's like, we're not exactly sure what you're going to meet, but you've got what you need whenever you meet with it. And whatever you're going to produce is life and creativity. You're going to make stuff. You're going to 
repair stuff, like stuff's gonna happen. Yeah. And that's and that's how I interpret the book of Romans talking about God making all things work together for the good of, mm-hmm. for, for good is not working together ahead of time, right. but working together as it comes. Mm-hmm. That God didn't create um, the 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 bad thing that happened or the the straying that happened or the challenge that you faced. Right. God didn't create those things as part of the path, but knowing that they were part of your path, God will then go, okay, since this, mm-hmm. how about we and <laughs> as right. Jen said, yeah. okay, this this wasn't this wasn't great, and it can it, it can it can produce something right. that is redemptive and and beautiful. Right. So, and when when people tell me, well, everything happens for a reason, I say, sure, and you get to determine what, what the reason what you can make yeah. re- reason out of this. Mm-hmm. We can glorify God because, and that's that movement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hopefully you've had a reason and finding your path because you were here with us today um, and joining us in this conversation. So I hope that uh, you are looking for moments where you're experiencing the spirit this week and uh, listening for that prompting and that 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 uh, person that we hear in the Gospel of Luke. We'll see you back next week. <laughs>